It's good to see so many people out this morning. I hope you've been prayerful for the service this week and uh, hope the Lord has blessed you this week and revealed himself to you in mighty ways. Um, I want to preach to you this morning on uh, a few thoughts that I've had this uh, past week. And the title of this sermon this morning would be Greater Things. Greater Things. And before I get too much into that, I want to look at back at a few passages in the scripture here. And I would say this, that if you read through the Bible, and you read through uh, specifically the New Testament, during the times that the Lord is calling his apostles or the times that uh, he is teaching uh, and speaking some things, uh, not to massive crowds, but to small numbers of his disciples or his apostles, sometimes you read things that the Lord tells his uh, apostles and disciples, his believers, his children, the people that are following him, and uh it's a little unsettling sometimes the things that you hear him say. You know, I, I think about um, if you were look if you were an employer and you were looking for some to hire somebody and you had to put a, a, an ad out there uh, of of what type of person that you wanted and what the job entailed. You would probably uh, try to make that position sound as good as it could possibly sound, right? And that's what people do. You know, man, we've got great 401k. Great benefits, great salary, all this, you know, holiday pay and blah, 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 and all that. And so people be like, man, I want to sign up for that, right? We kind of cater to, to the people that we're looking for, and we want them to, to see this position as being a great position, one that fits them, no drawbacks. It's, this is, you know, tailor-made for you. That's kind of our mentality. But when you read some of the things that the Lord tells his apostles and his disciples, you, you realize very quickly that serving the Lord is not for the faint of heart. Serving the Lord is not something that uh, is going to necessarily be uh, you know, easy. It's not something that's always going to have days that are just filled with bright sunshine. Uh, I think about when uh, we, we read in Acts the ninth chapter where uh, the, uh, the Saul of Tarsus, we read about his encounter, which we believe is the moment that he was born again on the road to Damascus. And, um, you know, the Lord is, is speaking to him and he says, uh, af after he's born, he borns him again, uh, Saul of Tarsus says, what would you have me do? Well, at the same time that the Lord is working on Saul of Tarsus, he is also uh, visiting with a man named Ananias, who was an Ananias, who was a preacher. And he's telling Ananias uh, in a vision, he says, listen, um, I need you to go to a street that is called Straight to the house of Judas, and I need to, you to inquire of a man there named Saul, right? And he says, uh, because Saul is there praying at this very moment. So you read that after uh, Saul was born again, he goes uh, several days, two or three days. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. He can't see. And he is in this house of Judas, and he's praying. And so the Lord tells Ananias, I need you to go to where Saul's at because he's praying. And Ananias begins to somewhat object to what the Lord is telling him to do because he says, listen, I've heard about Saul. I know the deal with Saul and uh, how much havoc he's wreaked on the church. And, uh, you know, we don't, uh, I don't know if I want anything to do with him. And the Lord tells Ananias, he says, I want you to go because he's my chosen vessel. And he says, I want you to show him how many things he is going to have to suffer for my name's sake. Now, put yourself in Saul's shoes for just a second. All right, Saul has had this wonderful um, act of grace and the new birth come upon him. Uh, immediately, he's, he can't see. 
Uh, he's obviously so overcome. He's not eating. He's not drinking. And because the Lord has gotten a hold of him, don't you think Saul would want somebody to come in here and say, Saul, I've been sent by the Lord. The Lord has uh, done a great thing for you. And from here on, you're on a new journey and it is going to be beautiful. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, you're going to have, you know, from here on, you're going to have great days every single day of your life. Right. Sometimes we present the, the walk of a child of God like that. Right. Well, that's not at all how it can be. But what Saul gets instead of that, Saul gets, Saul, my name is Ananias, I'm a preacher, God has sent me here to show you how many things you're going to have to suffer for my name's sake. It would, it would startle us a little bit, would it not? If somebody comes down to join the church, and Brother Tim, as he does many times, he goes down there, and, and you know, it's a glorious moment for us all, right? The church is celebrating uh, whoever comes down to become a part of the church is celebrating. What if Brother Tim put his arm around that person and said, listen, I need to show you how much you're going to have to suffer for the sake of Christ because of what you're doing. It would unsettle us a little bit, right? It probably would not make any of us want to jump down and come join, right? But that's what, that's what the Lord sends Ananias to tell Saul. You're going to have to suffer for my sake, right? I want you to think about Peter. There's a time with Peter that the Lord goes to Peter and he says, Peter, there's a day, there has been a day, there is a day where you wore what you wanted to wear and you went wherever you wanted to go and you did whatever you wanted to do. And he says, but Peter, there's coming a time when somebody else is going to dress you. They're going to stretch your hands out and they're going to lead you to places you don't want to go. And He's not talking about old age. He's not talking about the nursing home. He tells him very specifically, he told him that signifying what type of death he would die. You see, Peter, the Lord is telling Peter, you're going to be bound. You're going to be in prison. You're going to have no freedoms. Uh, people are going to put on you what they want to put on you. Like they did the Lord, if they want to put a scarlet robe on you and mock you, they're going to do it. If they want to put a crown of thorns on you, they're going to do it. There's nothing you can do about it. They're going to stretch forth your hands, which history tells us. I don't know if it's true. History tells us Peter was crucified upside down. They're going to stretch forth your hands, and they're going to lead you on the death walk to a place that you don't want to go. Now, how many does that make you guys want to go sign up to be a, a disciple of the Lord? What does he tell his apostles? You can read in Luke, the 21st chapter, uh, some of the things that he tells his apostles. He tells them, he says, uh, they're going to lay their hands on you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to deliver you up to the synagogues and into prisons being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Why are they delivering them into that? Why is Paul going to suffer? Why is Peter going to suffer? Why does he tell his apostles they're going to suffer, suffer for his name's sake, Right. Now, reading John 16th chapter, this one is mind-boggling to me, but it's so applicable to where we're going today. In John the 16th chapter, chapter, he tells his apostles, he says, there's coming a time when they are going to kill you and think that they do God's service by killing you. He says, but listen, the reason they're going to kill you is because they don't know me and they don't know my father. So that's a lesson to all of us. Just because somebody comes along professing the name of God or doing something in the name of the Lord does not mean that they're a child of God and it does not mean what they're doing is of the Lord. 
Because these people were killing the apostles at the same time they truly believed they were doing God a favor by killing the apostles that Jesus Christ himself called. Serving the Lord is not for the faint of heart, right? And so sometimes I think that the devil uses that to, to stimulate some fear inside of us, right? To say, hey, don't go serve the Lord or you'll end up like Paul having to suffer. Paul wrote many, many things about how much he suffered, right? Perils of shipwreck, perils of his countrymen. Uh, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was in prison, he was left for dead, all for the sake of Christ, right? But don't let that discourage you, okay? Don't let that discourage you because I think about, as I studied this week and I thought about some of the things that the Lord told his people that might be unsettling to us when we go uh, to commit ourselves to following the Lord. Things that we might read and be like, oh, I wish he wasn't like that. I wish he said you were going to be protected all the time. And every time somebody grabbed a stone to rear back and throw it at you, I'm going to send an angel and put a force field around you. It'd be a lot easier to follow the Lord if he said those things. But when you read about some of those things that might be unsettling to us, I go back to John, the first chapter. It's something that the Lord told a man named Nathaniel in John, the first chapter. And if you remember, early on in the book of John, the Lord um, has come onto the scene. He's beginning to, uh, he's beginning his ministry. He's beginning to call his apostles. Uh, he has called uh, Simon who is Peter. He's called his brother Andrew. Uh, he goes along. He calls James. He calls John. And he calls Philip. And the, the, the news that these brothers that have been called by the Lord are, are spreading is they're going to their friends and they're saying, listen, we found the Christ. We found the Messiah. We have found the one, uh, as Philip will say, we found the one that Moses wrote about. So you remember the Bible says, uh, the Lord says, uh, search the scriptures for anything you think they have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. The Lord is all throughout the scriptures and Philip says, listen, we found the one that Moses wrote about. You need to come and see. So listen, in John, the first chapter, Philip comes to Nathanael and says, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's us. That's, how, that's exactly how we would probably react. Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Now notice this, this is where the title comes from, Greater Things. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou... Thou shalt see greater things than these. Now, why does that encourage me? Why does that make me want to uh, cast a blind eye to the truths that serving God is not uh, for the faint of heart? Serving God is not going to always be easy. Why does that encourage me? Because Nathaniel here, the Lord tells Nathaniel here that, listen, I told you something about yourself that there's really no way I could have ever known it. And I tell you this, and simply because of that very small thing, 
you believe and you say you are the king of Israel, the son of God. And he tells Nathaniel, listen, you're going to see greater things than this. Greater things than this. Now, to, to lay out greater things, I want to look at the life of John for just a second. John wrote um, five books of the Bible, right? He wrote, uh, he wrote the, the Apostle of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he wrote the book of Revelation, right? He wrote five different books. So we know a lot about John. We know a lot of the things that John experienced. In this early time, John was just a fisherman. That's all he was. He was just a regular guy, and he was just fishing. Uh, when John comes to see the Lord for the first time, John has been fishing, and he has not caught anything, and he is cleaning his nets, right? And with his brother James, he's cleaning his nets, and the Lord comes up and he tells Peter and Andrew to, who are also cleaning their nets to cast out into the deep. Peter, uh, the Lord preaches out of their boat for a minute and then he tells Peter to cast his nets out, right? And Peter's like, we've been fishing all night long. We hadn't caught anything. He said, but if you're going to tell me to throw these nets back out one more time after I just got all the seaweed off of them, I'll do it. I can imagine cleaning seaweed off those huge nets was probably a pain, right? It's a chore. And he throws the net out there, and they, the Bible says they get so many fish in there uh, that the boat began to sink when they got them all in, right? And so they call James and John over there to help them, uh, and their boat is filled with fish, and their boat almost starts sinking, right? This is John's first encounter with the Lord. Now, that's pretty powerful to me, right? Pretty powerful uh, example of the power of Jesus to have fished all night. And then all of a sudden the Lord says, fish one more time. And in that one time, they catch more fish than they've ever caught. So much so that their boats begin to sink because they're so full, right? That's pretty powerful. But I want to look through here for just a minute at the walk of John. Now, John's walk was a walk of faithfulness. Now, I'll submit to you that if we want to see greater things we must continue to walk in faithfulness, right? Amen. I doubt that the rich young ruler who turned away from the Lord, I doubt he's got the same story that John's got. I don't know what the rest of the rich young ruler's story was. Maybe at some point he, he changed his mind and committed himself. I don't know. But the last I do know about him, about him, he went away sad, right? He went away sad, turning his back on discipleship and faithfulness. But if we want to see greater things, we want to continue to walk in faithfulness. So this man, John, um, has seen the Lord do a great work with the fish. But it could be, it could be explained away if we wanted to, right? Well, he just happened to throw the net out at the right time and it just the fish just happened to be schooling. We could explain that away if we wanted to, right? But as he continues to faithfully walk with the Lord, how, does, how can you explain away some of the things that the Lord did? How can you explain away the day He stood at the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth? How can you explain away a body who has already been dead so long He's stinking? How can you explain that body at the command of the Lord to get up and come out of the tomb? You see, to me, seeing Lazarus raised from the dead is a greater thing than seeing a net full of fish. Are you with me? To see that some of the things that the Lord did 
To see the man not only raise the dead, but to heal the sick, to make the lame walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, to see him do all those things, that's a greater thing than just seeing a net full of fish. Because you can't explain away those things. You're telling me this man has for 38 years has been laying here uh, unable to walk and he's just carrying on so Jesus can have a good act? This man's suffering. There's no way to explain that away other than the power of God. That's a big deal. That's a greater thing than a net full of fish, right? But now, think about Matthew the 17th chapter. Matthew the 17th chapter. What happens in Matthew the 17th chapter? The Lord takes Peter, James, and this very same John up to the mount that we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And as they're standing there, the Bible tells us in three different accounts that they see the countenance of the Lord changed before their very eyes. They see, uh, they say that his face was shining like the sun. His raiment was bright white. He, he, he is, uh, in a sense, he's standing there in his glory, right? Now, they've seen the humiliation of Christ. They've seen the humiliation of Christ. They're going to see more of the humiliation of Christ. But in this moment, they see him actually transfigured before their very eyes. Now, that's a far cry from casting a net out, right? And there's a whole lot in between that John experienced that I don't have time to tell you in 20 minutes. But I want you to look at the progression of John's experience as he walked in faithfulness when the Lord told Nathaniel, and I'm sure he told the rest of them, you're going to see greater things than this. John, you're going to see greater things than this net. John, you're going to see greater things than me telling a lame man to get up and walk. John, you're going to see greater things than me transfigured before your very eyes. <clears throat> Going a little bit further, and in John the 20th chapter, what does John see in the 20th chapter? John sees a resurrected Christ. Right? John sees who, you know, John was the one, you know, John was described or he described himself as the apostle that Jesus loved. You know, that's, I, I always thought that was kind of strange. You know, it almost sounds like he's bragging, right? But he, he had just an intimate love for the Lord so much so that as he writes, he writes as he doesn't call his name John. He says the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right. And when Jesus is hanging on the cross, uh, cross Mary is there and a few other women. And it says, and the disciple who Jesus loved. John has seen the humiliation of Christ. He has seen what man has done to the son of God. Right. But after the Lord is laid in the tomb three days later. John gets to see him again. Are you with me? Yeah. Now look, think of put yourself in John's shoes for just a second. This is happening over a span of about three years, right? Three years, John, if he was sitting in his rocking chair just reflecting on the day or his life's events, he would say, man, three years ago, I was pulling up a net of empty fish all night, cleaning out seaweed from it. And in three years, I faithfully followed this man. I saw him fill my nets. I saw him heal the sick. I saw him 
raised the dead. I saw him transfigured before my very eyes into a form of glory. I saw him defeat death and come out of the tomb. That sounds like a progression of greatness to me. Now, the Lord ascends back to heaven. And John and his apostles, they're still, they're still, they are still here on earth. Sixty years go by. Sixty years goes by, and John is continuing. I want you to think about 60 years ago. I can't because I'm not even 60 years old. But some of you that are sitting here that are 80 years old, think back to when you're 20. Seems like a long time ago, right? I'm 43. I think back to when I was 10, and it seems like 10 lifetimes ago. 60 years is a long time for the mind of a human being. 60 years goes by. He hasn't. Uh, there was a time that he was laying his head on the bosom of the Son of God. When they have their um, time together before the Lord is crucified and arrested and crucified, do you remember that they uh, wash feet or he washes their feet? They have the Last Supper and the Bible tells us the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is John, is laying there with his head in the bosom of the Lord. Now that's an intimate relationship, right? That's a closeness. I'm not going to come just lay my head on anybody, right? An intimate, close relationship. This was his friend. This was his savior. This was his master. For 60 years after the ascension of Christ, John has been faithful. So faithful that there comes a point that the emperor of Rome has had enough of John and tells John, you're going to be banished to the island of Patmos. Now, I don't know a whole lot about the island of Patmos, but it's probably uh, not what you see uh, on Facebook or the Internet of these elaborate vacation resorts on these islands. I doubt it was crystal clear water with great snorkeling and little huts with air conditioning in them. For whatever reason, he sent him there because he was tired of him preaching. Flip over to Revelation for just a second. He was, Revelation is the first chapter. He was tired of him preaching. He sent him somewhere to suffer. History tells us, and again, I don't know that this is true, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least. History tells us he was so tired of John preaching the word of God that they threw him in a pot, a, a, a big vat of uh, oil that was on fire. And it said he was unharmed. Doesn't surprise me. Don't know if it's true, but it wouldn't surprise me. Right? Because the Lord has done that before with three Hebrew boys, right? In a sense. But he's banished to the island of Patmos. Why? It says, I, John, who, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is about 60 years after the Lord has ascended. For, so for 60 years, the, John has continued to preach and teach the things that the Lord taught him, right? He's suffered at the hands of men, but he's faithful to continue to walk with the Lord, right? Now, I want you to notice this. As he's on this island, of, what would you be thinking if you were John? Do you ever think about your loved ones that have gone on before you? Sure you do, right? Um, if, if you're 80 years old and you lost a friend back when you were 20, your best friend when you were 20 years old, I bet you at times you still think about them. Don't you know for 60 years John has thought about the Lord? Don't you know for 60 years he thought about the nets? 
He thought about the healings. He thought about the Mount of Transfiguration. He thought about the humiliation on the cross. He thought about seeing him as a resurrected Lord. Well, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? It does get better. Why? Because you're going to see greater things. So John is on the island of Patmos. And the Bible says, I was in the Spirit, this is John, on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. I picture John on his knees praying. He says he was in the Spirit. And he hears a voice behind him saying, I am the Alpha, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia and Ephesus and Smyrna unto Pergamos and Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. What would you do if you were John? You're on this island. You're in the Spirit. You've got great memories of the Lord. But for 60 years, you've not seen the Lord. You've not handled the Lord. You've not touched the Lord. And all of a sudden, you're uh, praying, and a voice like a trumpet comes from behind you. Would you be a little bit afraid to turn around? I would. I'd be like, what am I going to see when I turn around? And John says, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Let me stop right there for a second. You know what he turned around and saw? He saw the very same that he had his head on his bosom. I want you to think about that. For 60 years, this man who he was willing to die for, he's not seen. And all of a sudden, in a moment, there's a voice behind him and he turns around to see him. To see him in a way that only John could, could really fully understand what it was like to see him. We have the written account, but John was there. He doesn't see uh, a humiliated Christ. He doesn't see a glimpse of transfiguration. He sees a victorious king. And it says, I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead." Now notice this next part. That's quite a sight, right? Again, this is the same Lord and Christ that John walked with and embraced and stood there at the cross looking up at it, looking up at him that saw him laid in the tomb, that went to the empty tomb, that saw the Lord uh, appear to him as a resurrected Christ, that saw the Lord descend into ascend into heaven, and for 60 years he's seen nothing of him. And now all of a sudden he is seeing him it, the greatest picture of the Lord that he's ever seen. And he falls down dead. I would, I, I get, when I put myself in John's shoes, I, 
I know there's something that would draw me to him, but there's a part of me that would feel like just I would want to run. Maybe you feel a little bit like the the picture that we see. I would just want to like put some distance, but I mean, it's just too much for me. And I think John felt that way. He says he, he fell down his feet as dead. But notice what the Lord does. Picture him, however your imagination takes you on that description he gives you. What does the Lord do? It says he laid his right hand upon me. I think about the, the closeness of John at that last supper when John has got his head rested on the chest of Christ. What that must have felt like. And here the Lord stands 60 something years later as a victorious king described in such a beautiful way, but yet he still returns to that intimate touch with, with John. That may not mean anything to you, but that was special to me. To think about this victorious king saying, I'm still the same Lord that you laid your head on all those years ago. He says, he put his right hand upon me, saying unto me, what? Fear not. John, all those things that I told you, all that about going to prepare a place for you, all that about where I'm going, you can't come. You're seeing a little bit of that. I'm renewing your strength. I'm renewing your faith. I'm showing you something here, John, and I want you to write it down and I want you to tell all the people about it. You see, at the transfiguration, you know what he told them? There were three people there, Peter, James, and John. He said, I don't want you to tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what you've seen. But now he's saying, I want you to tell everybody what you've seen. A victorious Christ. Fear not, I'm the first and the last. I'm he that liveth and was dead. You see what he's saying? It is me, John. It's me. I may not look like I looked back then, but it's me. Remember, I was dead, John. But now I'm living and behold, I'm alive forevermore and have the keys of hell and death. Now listen, if I'm on the island of Patmos, it's been 60 something years since I've seen my Lord and I have been, I've suffered at the hands of men that hate God. I'm banished maybe from my family and from all the things that I love and I'm isolated on this island. You know what I want to hear? Number one, I want to see my friend again. And God reveals Himself to him. And two, He touches him and lets him know I'm the same one that I was back then. You're just seeing me in a little different form. And He tells him, listen, all these things that are, that are, uh, that are troubling you, He says, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of hell and death. Hell and death do not have the keys. Hell and death are not in charge, John. The Roman emperor that puts you here, he's not in charge, John. I'm in charge. Now, let me close this up here and make way for Brother Tim. Paul, let me show you how many things you've got to suffer for my sake. Peter, let me tell you what's going to happen when you're older. It's going to be bad. Right? Apostles, let me tell you that people are going to come kill you and then claim the God you serve is the one that told them to do it and he'll be happy about it. 
They're going to throw you out of the uh, synagogues. They're going to put you in prison. They're going to beat you. They're going to stone you. They're going to try to take everything you have and crush you to powder. But with faithfulness and time, you will see great, great, great things. That's encouraging to me. That's encouraging to me that know as I walk with the Lord, that I will see him in clearer, more powerful ways as I traverse through this life. If I remain faithful in my walk, Amen. that's encouraging to me. I can tell you now, I, I have seen and experienced the Lord more now than I did 15, 20 years ago. And I hope that that's the walk of us all that with enough faithfulness and time, listen, church fellowship is great, but there's something greater than that. Amen. Our church is great, but there's something greater than that. I'll leave you with this. Do you know that John saw the Lord in a greater way again? And it was when he went to heaven. When John died, he saw the Lord even greater than he saw on that day on the island.